Let's study 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read the entire chapter. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only this, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have, but an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and that their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with the gift which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us providing honorable things not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them 
and before the churches the proof of your love and of, your, and of our boasting on your behalf. God, we need to understand and we need to apply and we acknowledge right now that we're weak in that many times. You, you're the one that causes us by your spirit to understand what your word says. And you're also the one that gives us the heart to apply it, Lord, the desire to do it and then the diligence to carry it out. Uh, we submit ourselves to you, Lord, not to any person first, but to you. We submit ourselves to the truth that you have preserved for us here in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Part of our church. Why are you a part of this church? What, what caused you to decide that this was the place where you would plug in and, and grow and serve? And What was it? I'm not really big on surveys because I think they're manipulated a lot of the time. And I, I don't want to be a people pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. But I do like to hear sometimes. And I'll tell you what the top two answers are, at least loosely what they are. The first is that we teach through the Bible, and, and it's our endeavor to move through the Scriptures and see everything that God has in His Word. Many people express that, and I, I know that according to the Word of God, we're supposed to be after the whole counsel of His Word, and, and we're not supposed to just pick the parts that we like. So many of you are like-minded in that way. I don't want to just say you appreciate it, because that's not really an important enough word. Like, that's valuable to you, and it's valuable to, to me, and it's valuable to the other elders also. But you know what the second thing is? That we don't talk about money. That we don't even mention it. That uh, not only do we not pressure people, but you could probably come here for a pretty long time and think, wow, they're just independently wealthy, and they, they don't pass a plate. They don't, they don't, it's like it just falls out of the sky, and, and it's, just, it's not a subject for them. And there are certainly reasons why we've chosen to not pass a plate around every week and, and, and do things that way. But you see now that these two of the, the favorite things, and I do think they're good things, um, have come into conflict with one another because the word of the Lord is addressing liberality and giving. And the truth is, is that when God's word addresses it, then, then we address it. So uh, most of you this is your home church, but if you're here and this is not really your home church, you got to be here on a special week. <laughs> it's so special. I know the way it is when it comes to money and, and church a lot of times. You don't even want to invite your friends to church because when they get there, it's going to be all about money. And it's this barrier. There's this even begging. There's this pressure put on by people and it's really a mess. And, and you know that, and I know that. And I could spend time just ripping on people that do it that way. Or I could say, I know that, that how we are to give financially. What does the Lord say in his word about this area of our walk with him? The word is not silent on it. But I know that if it became our favorite subject in every single service, that would be whacked, wouldn't it? And that's what it's become. I want to preach the gospel in every service because there's always people here and I don't know where they're at with the Lord and I want to make sure they know how to be saved. But if, if the giving of money becomes our favorite subject, I'm looking for that in the Bible and going, I don't see that. I see there are portions, and we're in one of those today, where we should learn, Lord, what's pleasing to you? So our perspective on this can get messed up pretty quickly. 
It can be a reaction to those that abuse the subject of financial giving and not really coming back to what God says. So I need this in my life so the Lord can teach me how to think biblically again and not just be a reaction to those who are, are begging for money. That, truthfully, just, it doesn't just make me sick. It makes me angry. When, when I hear so-called leaders milking people for money in the name of God, I, I'm not, and I'm not just angry, I'm borderline violent. That's, it's like it, and the Lord says in his word, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Would you want to be that preacher, that pastor, that teacher, that evangelist on that day when it really, it, it is about money? No, but I also wouldn't want to be that person that ignores God's word when it comes to instruction. Before we start looking at the verses that we read, I don't know what anybody gives, and we do that on purpose. I mean, I need general financial information to make wise decisions, but I don't know any individual contributions. And that's a good thing. I, I don't want to pull any punches. I, I don't want to be a person who has preferential treatment. So maybe you're really decked out, you got nice shoes and nice clothes, and I'm, I'm thinking like, wow, that person probably gives a lot of money. Either that or they just spend a lot on their wardrobe, right? I, I don't know. I don't even know what you drive half the time. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's up to the Lord. And that is a place that's good to be in. That, that way I can do my main job, and I don't need to be concerned about who's giving what. But the Lord does say that we should be giving. Paul previously made the need known in the book of 1 Corinthians. He wrote this, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letter, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Paul had made it clear there, there's a need in the body of Christ. There is a need that needs to be filled, and this is what you should do. You should save up. You should have that money at the first of the week on Sunday. Apply it. Give it, because there is a need that needs to be addressed, that needs to be filled. Now, when you look at verses 1 through 4, Paul talks about the Macedonians, Macedonia is the, it's the northern region of Greece, and cities like Philippi and Thessalonica were in the region of Macedonia. And look what he says about the Macedonians. Look at what he says about the people that live in that region. They were in great trial. They had lives that were full of suffering. There had been civil wars in that region, and many people had lost their lives. Many people were injured. It was a true state of emergency in Macedonia. Tiberius during this time, declared a real state of emergency, not, not a fake state of emergency, in Macedonia. And it was such a state of emergency that he relieved them of paying their taxes. I would like a state of emergency like that. <laughs> Rome was very ardent about the taxes that they would receive, but the situation was so desperate in Macedonia because of the wars raging there, the civil wars, they said, we're relieving this area of paying taxes. When Rome takes your taxes away, you know there's a lot of trial, a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship. So this is the area that Paul is talking about. On top of that struggle from the civil wars that were occurring in that region, Christians 
were being locked out of their guilds. Craftsmen and artisans had to sacrifice to false gods in order to to earn money through their craft or through their skill. And if they would not sacrifice, if they would not participate in these pagan rituals, then they could not earn a living. So the Macedonians were in a lot of hardship. Think about this. What if your way, what you're good at, what you're an expert in, your, your, your bread and butter, your, your career was taken away from you, and you, you didn't have that anymore. That was happening to many Christians in these guilds in the region of Macedonia. So they were in great hardship. But look at what it says in the Word. They still gave. They still gave, and they gave a lot. They gave in their trial. We're not used to that. We might be used to giving out of our surplus, but to give when you're struggling, to give when you're hurting, to give when you don't have very much, that's a biblical level that the Lord is trying to impart to us. Look at these Macedonians and how they acted when it came to the needs that were going to be filled. They gave beyond their ability. Their cause, what they gave to, who they gave to, they gave to the saints in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there was great persecution. These were Jews for Jesus, and they were in the middle of Judaizers, long-standing Jewish leaders who rejected Christ. So you have these Jewish believers, and now they're in this Jewish city, and there are many other Jews who hate that they have chosen to follow Christ. They want to pull them back into Judaism, and they are suffering because of that. And think of this, thousands were saved in just one day. And then what happened, if you read the book of Acts, the church started to take care of each other. They started to give to each other. And it says there in the book of Acts that they had all things in common. But they had a whole bunch of people all of a sudden who were persecuted because they came together. And then a famine hit Judea and Jerusalem was even worse off. The saints in Jerusalem were even in a harder situation. So look at what is described for us in verses one through four. There are Christians in trial who are giving to Christians who are in even greater trial. They're all struggling. But the struggle didn't stop the Macedonians from giving. So I'm going to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning. First of all, they are giving. How about you? Isn't that what the Bible's teaching us right here? This is surprising to me, but it's in the Scriptures. Paul is saying, the Macedonians are giving, and they're in great trial. They're act together. Why can't you be as good as they are? But think about it. The body of Christ is supposed to stir us up and spur us on to be obedient, right? When we hear the news or when we see somebody else living out obedience, it's wonderful. But shouldn't it also cause us to look at ourselves and say, am I being obedient in the same manner? It should. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of these Macedonians. And look what he says in verse 8. I'm trying to see if your love is sincere. Wow. I'm trying to see if the love that you say you have is really going to be put into action because I see that in those who live in Philippi and Thessalonica in that region. Others should be a part of our obedience to spur us on. It's not this matter of why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? That's not a great parenting technique, by the way. It, it divides your home. 
But there is something to look. Others are doing this. Others are being obedient. Are you not Christians also? Don't you have the same, the same truths given to you? And the answer is yes. How about me? I can't just look at the gener- generosity of others and say, good for them. I'm going to give them applause. I need to ask myself, God, what do you want me to give? Number two, are you giving in trial? Because this is, what ha- this is what happens in our minds. This is the mentality sometimes. I'll serve when I have extra time. I'll give when I have extra money. I will get for myself what I need for this month, and, and then I'll give. That mindset is off. That mindset is biblically off. Or it even gets farther down the road, doesn't it, sometimes? Well, I'm going to get set for this year, or I'm going to get set for this life, and, and then I'll give. That mindset is off. It's biblically off. The Macedonians are a good example for us. Don't wait until it's smooth sailing and then say, well, now, now the Lord has seen fit to, to use me to give to meet the needs of others. Give in trial, which is, boy, is that difficult. That's got to be spirit-led. Give in trial and watch God do what seemed impossible before. Because if I'm giving according to my ability, and I'm giving according to my strength, then who's going to get the glory? I am. But if I'm giving in my weakness, and I'm giving in my inability, who is strong? And who is able? God is. You, you see, it's the same principle that when we wait until we have our act together, which I, I'm convinced at this point I'm never going to have my act together, and that's a good realization. If I wait until then to give, to be a vessel, to realize that God has given to me so that I can give to others, if I've got everything dialed in, then I can give, then, then aren't I giving according to my strength? And I want to give according to the strength of God. I don't want to give according to my ability alone, but according to his ability. And he is able. I've seen God so many times multiply what was given. Aren't the scriptures full of that? I see it in his word. I experience it in my life. And then I go right back to the old dollars and cents. This is what makes logical sense to me, right? And the word says, that God multiplies. He works through us in our weakness. He works through us when we don't have the ability. If I've got the ability, maybe I'm going to get the glory. And it should be all glory to God for the provision. If this principle is not practiced, then how will we know the depth of God's provision? How will we know the depth of his refining hand? How will we know the depth of his faithfulness? Are you giving in trial There's a lot to be proved about our loving God when we learn to give that way. And I'm not saying that you should be irresponsible. I'm not saying that that you should be short-sighted. You know, read through the Proverbs. Be be that wise person. But the truth is, is we get pretty self-centered. We get pretty stingy sometimes. Verse 5 and 6 show us something that Paul is announcing that Titus is coming in this letter. And Titus was the postman. He was delivering this piece of mail to the Corinthians. And he's warning them. He is, not warning, I should say. He is telling them that Titus is going to ask for this offering. 
And we know from the last chapter that they received Titus with fear and trembling. They were on the same page. They were both affectionate towards the church, and they were both admonishing the church. They were teaching the same topics, Paul by letter in this case, and Titus in person in this case. Same affection, same admonishments. Look at verse 16. It also speaks of this like-mindedness of Paul and Titus. He says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest desire for you into the heart of Titus. I identify with this thanks. I thank God for some who share my earnest desire to care for God's people. I love the scripture that says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the gift of his grace. But look at this one. Thanks be to God that Titus also has an earnest desire to care for you. Thanks be to God to have a brother who's looking out for the well-being of the body of Christ. That's his priority. For brothers who have that earnest desire to care for the church, it's in their hearts. It's not drummed up. It's not coerced. God put it in them to take care of his sheep. I'll ask you a third question now. Are you lagging in generosity? Isn't that what verse 7 teaches us? Look at that verse. You abound in everything. And then there's a list there, right? Faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and even love. See that you abound in this grace also, speaking of, of the giving. He says, you're growing in all these other areas. Don't fall behind in giving. Have you let God into that area of your life? If not, let him in. Abound in this grace also. We could say, but God, I don't have very much money. Well, how about the woman who gave the two coins and Jesus said, she gave more than all the big shots. Well, if you don't have very much money, that should probably silence you and get you on the road to giving. How about this? Lord, I'm struggling right now. I have my own stuff, my own trials. How about the Macedonians? Did they wait until their trials were done with and then give? No. How commendable is that? In a way, you look at verse 7, and it's, it's like a spiritual report card. It's like, look, you're doing so good in, in your diligence. You're doing really well in knowledge and in faith. Don't lag behind in this one category. A long time ago, you used to carry your report card home with you. It wasn't the brightest idea, but it was all we could do. Your parents kind of knew it was coming, but not sure which day. You had your report card with you, your progress report sometimes, and then you were supposed to give it to your parents, get it signed, and bring it back again. I remember getting in the car with one of my friends in elementary school, and this kid was smart. He didn't have trouble earning high marks in most of his subjects. He, his vocabulary was just amazing. And he was one of those people that could do math in his head that I couldn't even get out with the steps on my paper. He didn't have trouble with the academic side. But way back in those days, you also got a conduct grade. Your behavior. And he had poor, poor behavior. In fact, his mom on this day when he was delivering the report card and I was taken off with them, he showed her the report card and, and he got a D in conduct. And she was, Chris, you did great. He got a D in conduct. He only punched two people that semester. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it's like conduct, it's not a really great grade. And she was telling him, 
you could be on the honor roll because in those days too, I don't know if it's still this way, I, like you couldn't be on the honor roll if you had any Ds. And it was like, you could have a high GPA, but it just weighted you down. You have A's, but you know, D. And she was saying, here in this one section, this conduct, school in most areas isn't a problem for you. So Paul is saying to them, like, look, you're doing well in all these areas. You're growing. How many people are ever going to probe you in this area of giving? Now, look at the other areas. Somebody might say to you, why are you talking like that? Why is your speech that way? Because you belong to Jesus, and you shouldn't be using words and talking about those things. You're not supposed to let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. I hope that if I'm talking in a way that I shouldn't, I'd have a brother or a sister probe me about that and say, that speech, it should reflect the grace of God. Or let's look at something else. How about knowledge? Somebody may ask you, are you growing in the word? Are you learning more and more about the Lord? You want his understanding. We've got to know his word so we can know him. Somebody might come to you probing in that area. And I hope it, if so, it would be on target. But how many people are going to say to you, have you budgeted for the most important thing? Built into the way you spend your money. Is there allocated there, just like the scriptures say, something to give to the eternal work that is going on in the body of Christ? I've never had anybody ask me that. It's not that it won't happen, but what I'm saying is, let God's word probe you right now, because it's not an area that's addressed very often, yet it is obedience, it's necessary, it's pleasing to the Lord. It may not be at this church but find a church that is making disciples and give to that church. Their elders will, will know the needs. They'll, they'll meet the needs with that money. If you're not built up in Christ when you gather here, find a place where you can be edified, where you can grow, where you can serve, and give to the work of the Lord. Are you lagging in generosity? I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. I get this question sometimes, maybe you do. So huh, what percentage is God asking for? There isn't a percentage given in the New Testament. There's the tithe in, in the Old Testament, the, the tenth that was given. Although Israel gave more than that to, to the work of the Lord. What he's saying here is if the Lord... You belong to him completely. How sincere is your love for him? Is it just talk? Or are you going to show by the way you, you live your life and even spend your money? I ask you this fourth question. Is Jesus your model for poverty and generosity? Because look at the next verses. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. So is this talking about Jesus' material poverty or spiritual poverty? It's talking about both. Jesus became very poor materially that he might give us. This was a carpenter from Nazareth. He was never going to be wealthy. He, he was destined to be poor. He was a Galilean. He was, he was a tradesman who, who was, it was common 
But just as he was a carpenter from Nazareth, he was and is the king of heaven who laid down every bit of splendor and glory and comfort so that he could make himself poor and meet our greatest need of forgiveness. Jesus took on material poverty. He went from the highest to being homeless. He said this in Matthew 8, 20, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He, d- he didn't have money. Would we have looked at Jesus and said, look, there's a loser. He doesn't have a place. He doesn't even have a house. He must, he must not be a very hard worker. He was working hard at what lasted forever. He became poor. Isn't that true? Now, he was also brought spiritually low, very far from the Father. He was brought low, low, low by our sin, my sin on Jesus, the sin of the world on on the Lord, bringing him down, separating him from the Father, alienating him from the fellowship that he had always known so that we could be brought up, so that we could be rich, so that we could have a future and a hope. Why do people care so much about money? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, but a lot of times it's because we want to try to secure our future. I want to have a good life. I, I want to have, have what I need and even what I want. Who has taken care of your future? The Lord has. If you're in Christ and you might have 50 years left or five years left or whatever, but your true future is in Christ. Your, your forgiveness your adoption. That is your future in him. We studied it recently back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Believer, you were brought from rags to righteousness through Jesus. Now, is rags to righteousness better than rags to riches? It definitely is. Because when people go from rags to riches in a material sense, people often say they're self-made. Look at what they did. Self-made man. I'm not a self-made man. If you're in Christ, you're not a self-made man or woman. You're a spirit-made, brought from poverty, brought from deserving nothing to being given everything. Is Jesus your model for poverty and generosity? So Paul first says, look at your fellow believers. They're giving the way that they should. They've opened their hands. They've opened their hearts. But then he steps it up in verse 9 and says, if you can't deal with the Macedonians being a model for you, look at your Lord. Isn't he your pattern in all things? He became poor so that you could know the riches of his eternal grace. Truly take care of your future. Question number five, do you need to resume giving? Look at verses 10 through 12. They tell us that the Corinthians committed to send the offering. They started, but then they stalled out. They had a desire to do it. They knew it was right. God put the desire in their hearts, and the next chapter addresses motive, which is extremely important. 
I hope that you can be here. I hope that you can hear that. But look at what he's saying here. You guys purposed to do this a year ago. You wanted to do it. You started to do it, but you didn't follow through with the remainder. This may have happened to you before. God prompted you to give monetarily to his eternal work, and you were willing. You gave, but then along the way, that gift, that willingness got lost in the shuffle. Look at all the great stuff that gets pushed out of our lives because we just get going and, and it's not that we completely forget. It's, we, our lives get too crowded. All of a sudden, the giving is diminished or gone altogether. Anything good that you endeavor to offer to the Lord must be made. It's true of you feeding on his word if we don't make it a priority, and the same is true of giving monetarily, it'll just fall by the wayside. So do you need to resume? That was question number five. Now number six, have you been given much? I look at verses 13 through 15, and it speaks about those who have abundance. Right there in 14, it talks about those who, who gathered much, and the truth is that most of us have been given a whole lot materially. Now, we tend to compare ourselves to our neighbors, and you probably almost always find somebody who has been blessed more than you. But in the scheme of things, most of us have a whole lot, don't we? You said, amen, I have a lot. <laughs> so he quotes in verse 15, Exodus chapter 16, and that's about the manna that fell from heaven. Have you learned about that before? The manna that fell from heaven. God was providing for the children of Israel in the wilderness. Every day, except for on the Sabbath, they would wake up, and all over the ground, there would be food provided and delivered to them by God. These wafers, this bread that tasted like honey. He sent them quail also that they just clubbed down and, and grilled up. God was meeting their needs. And each head of the house was told to go out and gather one omer, depending on how many people were in their family, right? And we learn there that nobody lacked. That if you ga gathered a lot, you had enough. And if you gathered not very much manna, you still had what you needed. The, the people shared. They, they gave. Um, and why was that? Well, it wasn't that they always were obedient, because if they tried to store it, it was because it wouldn't last until the next day, unless it was the Sabbath. What if money was that way? You made your money, and if you didn't spend it, give it away, in this case, eat it, it was rotten. It was of no use. Wouldn't that really change the way we treated our finances? It certainly would. But we have this. Now, it doesn't have an eternal shelf life, that's for sure. And even in this life, money has wings, just flies away. It gets spent, it gets lost. It's, it's, it doesn't have the permanence that we think it has much of the time. So look at the children of Israel and how Paul quotes this. It's like, you have what you need for today, so give to the person that doesn't have what they need for today. We see our money and we see what we've got as, as being too, too lasting, and it really isn't. 
it was really clear in Exodus 16 that the manna was a gift, right? And when we gain materially or financially, do we see it as a gift or do we see it as what we deserve? A lot of times we see our money as what we deserve. We earned it. But we shouldn't see it. There, there is merit in, in earning money. I'm not saying that labor isn't profitable. But do we see our finances as a gift from God first, or do we see them as what we deserve first? Everything good is from the Almighty. Any talent, any skill, any energy, any expertise, any life, any breath is from Him. So what you have monetarily, what I have monetarily, financially, is a gift from God. I don't see it first and foremost that way enough. I see it as this is what I earned, this is what I got when I worked harder, when I made a wiser investment. This is what, instead of saying, God, you've just rained down from heaven all of this. And have I gotten prideful in thinking, look, well, I deserve to be somewhat affluent. Do we need to be awakened? Do we need to see the rest of the world? How hard some people work, and yet they have next to nothing, right? The truth is, is our money is like manna. It's from heaven. God gave it to us. Job, a very wealthy man, at one time, had a great perspective. Job 27.3. As long as my breath is in me, and the breath of God is in my nostrils. He's saying, I, I won't, I'm not going to speak against the Lord. As long as I have my breath, that's God's breath. He put it in my nostrils. He gets pretty specific. Every time I'm breathing in, it's a present from the Lord. He goes on and says in Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. According to the Bible, we should see and use our money more like manna and less like our merit, right? Have you been given much? Verses 16 through 24, Paul commends these three people who will pick up the offering, and then bring it to Jerusalem. Who's the first one that he commends? Titus. We've learned a lot about him. Then he commends two other unnamed couriers, carriers of, of these finances. He talks to the church about them. One was an evangelist. It says there, doesn't it, that he was famous for his work in the gospel. That's verses 18 and 19. Then there was the third servant or the second unnamed man who had solid character. It says this brother was often tested and found earnest. So are we seeing here that those who deliver the funds, handle the funds, are in charge of the funds, they should be people of proven character. They should be people that have a track record of honesty, of being about the work of God. They're going to be people who are distributing of gathering, handling, and those people need to be honest, solid, proven, God-fearing. Same principle that we see in the book of Acts with the deacons being men of character. Okay, you're going to be 
giving out to people, and we want to know that you have an honest reputation. Last question, is grace reflected in your generosity? Is grace reflected in your generosity? I noticed in verses 6 and 7 that this giving, that this monetary giving is called grace. Did you see that? Why is Paul saying abound in this grace also? Why doesn't he say just abound in giving? Why does he choose grace to describe generosity? Do you deserve grace? No. We describe the grace of God as God's unmerited favor, as God's riches at Christ's expense. When we talk about grace, when we learn about grace, central to the truth about grace is that we are completely undeserving, that we don't receive at all because we've earned, that God has given to us that God has lavished love upon us, not because we're lovable or because we're worthy of the love, but because he is good. So that giving is called grace here. And I'm supposed to measure my generosity by the grace of God. Too often when we give, we think and we even ask ourselves, do they deserve it? Are they worthy? I'm not saying you should just throw out stewardship altogether. But what I'm saying is, when we have to constantly measure our so-called giving by what somebody has earned, is that really grace? No, it's not. It's, you might, when some, somebody gets something, when somebody's given something, and it's perceived that they're a good person, which is a bunch of garbage, it's, oh, good for them. They deserve it. Couldn't have happened to a better person, right? They, and that's not the kind of giving we're talking about here. We're talking about giving that people don't deserve. Have we gotten so uptight and so far away from God that we're sitting there trying to calculate who deserves to be given to all the time? And we've forgotten that generosity is actually a picture of God's grace towards us. And we don't deserve any of God's grace. So we sort of measure out our, our gifts according to the worthiness of the recipient. No. The gift you have been given, it's, it's not the money received. It's not redemption, but it reflects redemption. The gift that you have received from the Lord, that manna from heaven, it shines with the gospel of Jesus. The world apart from Christ is used to giving to people that seem to be worthy. You know what they're not used to? Is giving to somebody who knows they're not worthy, who, who realizes it. And I'm not saying that we totally are irresponsible, that we're reckless with our gifts, but we get so measured that we forget that we're just supposed to bless sometimes. We're not supposed to get in there and freak out about every little cent because we live in a society where people are using, right? There's a lot of entitlement and they're working the system, so to speak, and there's all this, you know, government interference and, and we're just it, it just turns our hearts in the wrong direction sometimes like man they have they're just working the system yeah but what if this isn't based on the system it's just based on grace and when you give make sure people know i'm not giving to you because you deserve it i'm giving to you because god loves you and he's teaching me how to love you i'm not giving to you to earn i'm giving because i've been given to 
and God just has dropped manna into my life that I certainly don't deserve. Far be it from me to take pride in, in, in what I have or think that it's anything great. It's, it's my merit. Wash me clean of that sense of deserving, Lord, and help me be a giver. When it comes to the work of the Lord, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to what should be the mission of the church, it, the practical side of it is, is it takes money. It takes people to give in order for it to, to be used for the Lord. Will the work go on without me, without money, without you? It certainly will, right? God's not handcuffed by our lack of giving. But it's us coming and saying, Lord, I've been given grace. Is grace reflected in your generosity? The motive behind the giving, the heart that the Lord wants to put in us is of great importance. Read the next chapter, study it, have the Lord talk to you about your heart, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're giving what you're giving, or why you're not giving, or why you're serving. Let it bear witness to your soul. Since most of the world operates under merit and deserving and worthiness and work, do you know that, that God isn't that way? He doesn't receive you because of your work for him. He receives you if you believe upon his son Jesus who gave his life for you. If, if you're thinking, I've got to work my way to God, I've, I've got to please God into, into loving me. Nothing could be further from the truth. He proved his love for you a long, long time ago. He demonstrated his love for you a long, long time ago. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross gives us the grace, the empty tomb that we worship, worshiped him for today. Look at what you did. I, Lord, this was who I was before, and now you brought me into your marvelous light. And let me be an agent of that grace. Believe. Receive faith in Jesus for your whole life. Turn from your sins to him. He carries us into eternity. I've been given to so much. I have so much because of you, Lord Jesus. You've taken care of my future in, in this life and forevermore. You're, you're the planner. You're the provision. You're our portion. You're everything that we need. And you give to us, and, and then you are the example to us to be vessels, Lord. I pray that we would stand out and not be a people of manipulation and pressure, but we would still be a people of generosity towards your kingdom, towards the things that last forever, towards the needs. Lord, help us not to get so caught up in the affluence of our country or the focus on laziness. Lord, help us to, to know how to, to give and how to beam forth with your light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.